about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Oh yeah, I gotta talk now. Never get used to that. It's uh, it's the Steve Dace Show podcast on Westwood One without Steve Dace because he's in uh, Washington D.C. He's getting back uh, tonight. He'll be back for tomorrow's Feedback Friday podcast. But until then, it is the other in other programming. Myself, Aaron McIntyre, Steve's producer, along with Steve's editor, Todd Erzin. And, uh, Todd, we just got uh, done wrapping up production on today's uh, TV show, and I thought for Steve being gone, uh, I think we, we, you know, we batted at least, at least 100 as far as relevance and overall quality over the last couple of days of the TV show, and I thought today was, um, I thought today was, it was, it was a banner day as far oh. as other and other programming goes. We went, no, you're, we're definitely over the Mendoza line in, uh, over 200 uh absolutely that was good stuff yeah. and not necessarily because of us but because of constantino roditis yeah. um I, aaron i i am i learned on the show today that what a fickle lover i am because a couple of days ago you were my man crush because of your ode to soccer but i i have to uh i have eyes for another now oh, uh, and it is uh the future uh, com- comptroller of uh, california yeah don't uh don't uh, don't 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 blame you at all. I mean, with that interview now, Constantinos, you know him from sponsoring but not funding uh, buy, sell, or hold here on Wednesdays, seemingly. Uh, and he is, yeah, he's he is uh, a one of the two candidates that's going to be on the ballot this coming November in California for California controller. And so he he we had him on the show since we named off him so many times and a lot of people were saying hey you need to have this guy on the show you need to have this guy on the show talk about his race talk about trickle up taxation which if you have not heard of that he explains in the interview and after we got done taping the show Todd I would agree that was probably the standout of the show after we got done taping the show I was like you know what um we need to run the audio of that on the podcast today because we were kind of looking for another topic to tackle on today's show. So here's what's going to happen on today's uh, podcast. Uh, a little bit different from what I previewed in the TV show. If you're coming over here from CRTV.com, we're going to run the audio of that interview with Constantinos Roditis. And it is really, it should be really encouraging for you, especially where he is doing what he's doing in the state of the People's Republic of California. A light in the darkness. Exactly. And you will see from his very first answer about what inspired him to run for elected office and why he ran for what he's running for. It should be very encouraging to you, especially if you thought or think elected office might be in your uh, future, or at least running might be in your future someday. I think this interview will be very inspiring, so you want to listen to that. Also, later on, Father's Day is coming up, and there is still an epidemic in our culture of fatherlessness, Todd. And we had a guest on uh, not too many months ago, in fact, in fall of last year. He's an offensive tackle, a former offensive, uh, I'm sorry, he was a center in the National Football League. His name is Ed Tandy McGlasson, and he's got a ministry 
devoted to tackling what he calls tackling fatherlessness. And it was a, um, a very unique interview, I thought, and it stood out in my mind. And so in honor of Father's Day, I want to replay that interview kind of in a best of format from Ed Tandy McGlasson. And so that's going to be today's podcast. So without further ado, here's our interview from earlier today with Constantinos Rodinus, candidate for California Comptroller. Well, it is finally time to meet the man, the myth, the legend, the sponsor, but not funder, of a little game we call Buy, Sell, or Hold that we play on the Wednesday edition of our podcast on Westwood One. His name is Constantinos Roditis, and I figured, Constantinos, we've name-dropped you so many times on the podcast, it was finally time to actually figure out who the heck you are. Uh, so it's good to have you on the TV show and tell us who is Constantinos Roditis. This is like meeting the Wizard of I know, Oz right now, the I guy know. behind the there's, curtain. There's somebody there. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, having me. Uh, I am a, a CEO and CFO. Uh, I started off uh, my kind of political career beginning working at in UCSD when I got involved with the college Republicans. That time I really wasn't a conservative, uh, just kind of a Republican. Uh, and then transition within the business world, uh, seeing how corrupt government is, I kind of began my transition from a, uh, you know, a, a Republican to a conservative. So I always say to my to people, I am a conservative that happens to be a Republican, not a Republican that happens to be a conservative. So tell us what exactly within government and within your experience as a CEO and CFO, what can you give us any specific examples? I'm sure there's myriad if you're in California, which you are. There's myriad examples of government corruption. Can you give us some specific examples that made you really question what the heck are we doing here? Something needs to change. Well, to really me is as a kind of a theological point is really understanding uh, total depravity uh, that we need to decentralize government because the problem is not government or even then people who hate corporations, the problems are not corporations, it's, it's people. So as conservatives, we constantly look to decentralize uh, government and institutions so not one person has too much power. Uh, for instance, my parents, when they're going for some licensing uh, with their business, and I myself also saw discrimination, uh, you know, a city official one time told my parents to go back to Greece, you'll never get a license. Um, just uh, people who are grading my, uh, you know, contracts right. to get licensing was uh, my competitor was sitting on those boards. Um, so I just constantly saw that, you know, the problem with government is they have too much power. Um, and we need to get a place where you know, we have forgotten in this country what, uh, what we stand for. You know, we are a people with a government. Um, instead, we have become a government with a people. And we need to change that dynamic. And that's why, as uh, running for controller, uh, I looked at a situation and saying, what is the best seat possible for a conservative with a proper worldview to make changes? And I looked at the controller's office and said, well, you know, uh, typically we, we know from government, he who has the gold makes a rule. So I want to take a look at where the money's going, uh, where the corruption is. And so I can go ahead and root it out. 
Uh, two things. Todd, did you notice that first first place he went when asking, uh, you know, what he saw the problems was? Did you did you hear what he said? He said total depravity. Sure. Um, so <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Aaron's <laughs> shaking right yeah, now. I know. Um, no, that's awesome. The second thing is, Constantinus, do you realize what you're getting it yourself into if you win? If you start looking at California's books and start questioning where the money is going and where it's coming from, uh, but mostly where it's going, do you realize what you're getting yourself into? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I am a person who is con- uh, has convictions and principles, so I don't, you know, I don't care how much they uh, come after me or, you know, what they do. I tell people, hey, um, you know, you know, people are like, oh, they might assassinate you jokingly or something. I'm like, well, I'm a Christian, so I know where I'm going, so I'm not worried about uh, the consequences of, or they're going to recall you. And we just recently had a recall for actually a Democratic senator, state senator out here, who raised the car and gas tax, uh, and we overwhelmingly uh, recalled him. And I tell people, well, they changed the law to, um, you know, to prevent the recall. And it was for, uh, now it's be two years. So if I get elected, at least I get two years before uh, the unions and everybody else comes after me to recall me. Wow. Wow. Um, so tell us a little bit, um, you, you kind of touched on it uh, there in, in the first couple of answers. Um, what does a controller do, uh, specifically in the state of California? Well, the controller is the chief uh, financial officer of the state, and uh, their duties is to make sure that to root out waste, fraud, and abuse. And also, they sign all the checks. So anything that's going out for uh, must be in compliance with state law. For instance, as you guys might have heard, we have a boondoggle of a high-speed rail here. And the authorizing agent for that was Prop 1A, uh, where it's supposed to be funded one-third by the state, one-third from the federal government, and one-third from private investment. Well, uh, we've gotten not even one penny from private investment. The federal government has stopped giving money because it's uh, you know, a complete and utter boondoggle, and the state continues to fund it. So it's in, it's in violation of the authorizing agent. Uh, so for instance, as controller, the first thing that I would do would be to defund that because it doesn't comply with state law. So regardless of the fact if I'd like a project or not, the main duty of the controller is to protect the taxpayer and make sure everything is complying with the law. Understood. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, I know things are a little bit different in California than a, a lot of states. Tell us where you're at in the electoral uh, process and the um, the election process there for because I know you're you are the GOP nominee correct? Well, yes, it is a GOP nominee um, for control. So we don't really have it's a top two system here in California. Right. right. So uh, I, I'm just considered a the nominee. Gotcha. Uh, which I happen to be a uh, conservative. So uh, we were the top vote getter in the state of California for a Republican. Uh, we're you know, the votes are still being counted, but we're a little bit up above 1.8 million votes right now. Uh, so we'll be moving on uh, to November. And then that's obviously when the, the big fight happens right. uh, between me and the incumbent Democrat. Understood. Understood. Now, I've been uh, goaded on Twitter mo- multiple times to have you on the program to talk specifically about something called trickle-up taxation. Uh, and you're one of the champions of that, as I understand. Can you Tell our audience a little bit what that is about and what the concept is behind that. Sure. So trickle-up taxation is well, really getting behind, instead of just the 
the concept of it is really getting behind the, the worldview of how we do government. Um, as you said yesterday, Todd, uh, you know, when you take the premise of your opponent, um, you know, that's you, you never do that, right? If we take the premise of our opponent, we've automatically uh, seeded the ground and we're just uh, determining the terms of surrender. So as conservatives, we are really fighting over who's going to uh, control overbearing centralized government. And that's not what conservatives believe in, right? When we first founded this country, we believed in Article 1, Section 8, the 18 enumerated powers of the Constitution, that the federal government would be limited. And the states likewise were also limited. In California, most taxing authority and regulatory authority were put down on the county level. We believed in local control. Uh, and I tell people, you know, the seat that Governor Jerry Brown currently holds is the same seat that Ronald Reagan held. Right. I mean, you can do some good things, you can do some bad things, but overall, shouldn't our objection be to uh, change the paradigm and decentralize that works with our worldview? And that's what trickle-up taxation is. So trickle-up taxation basically removes direct taxing authority from the state down to the county level, um, primarily counties, some within the city, so and also some uh, a lot of regulatory authority. So instead of California wanting to tax you at a top marginal tax rate at 13.3%, your county may elect to have a 5% uh, income tax rate. Uh, your city can go ahead and say, well, we want to have a little bit higher of a sales tax. And they can go ahead and elect to do that. Um, or, you know, we increase the car and gas tax here in California uh, with the objection of tons of people because, uh, you know, they're wasting billions of dollars. So why should this, you be forced to have a tax that you don't want or a program you don't want? Let your local government that knows your community best. So it basically federalizes California, um, not fully as making the county states, but quasi many states. And, right. then the, and then the state would take a percentage of all tax revenue collected. Uh, and then it would, instead of, you know, right now we have taxes that go up to Sacramento and then they trickle back down uh, to the local level with a bunch of waste, fraud, and abuse and tons of bureaucracy. So yep. we cut the bureaucracy, keep it on the local level, um, and then people can decide what their communities will look like. But the also benefit is now we have progressives and conservatives who like the idea of local control. But you also, instead of fighting progressives, you actually make them your ally. So if the state is taking, say, 50% of all taxes generated on the local level and they want to raise it to 60%, well, you might have San Francisco who's going to come out and say, hey, wait, we don't want to waste money on that project. That's insane. You know, you're going to take money away from our, you know, community colleges. You know, we want to provide free housing. And then conservatives, obviously, we're not a really big fan of taxes. So it's it's kind of a check on the state government to uh, you know, limit itself to the big picture items that only the state can handle. That is a fantastic idea, Todd. Can, can I say something? Yeah, yeah. The, I'm at that point, like in Infinity War at the end of the movie, where the climactic yeah. battle is coming to Wakanda, yeah. and uh, it looks like it's going to be really bad. And Captain America shows up, yes. and Black Panther <laughs> says, "Somebody get this man a shield." I just, yep. uh, I'm speechless. I mean, if people just sat down. And listen to men like you, Constantinos, who have both the vision and the backbone uh, to carry it through. I mean, 
We're, we are at just like with uh, with uh, Thanos, but for good. Snap of a finger time. We could turn things around. I, God bless you yeah. for your passion on this, man. Yeah. And it's a pleasure to meet you in person because you, you, men like you are a game changer. We sit here in this yeah. room and we do this show and we're passionate about what we believe in. But trust me, some days we wonder if there's real flesh and blood out there yep. doing the fighting. Thank God. America, look at the, look, look right now at he, this guy. He's yeah. doing it. So, Constantinus, you, you, you were one of the top two vote getters in a jungle primary in the state of Cal- the People's Republic of California, uh, which we make fun of all the time. Uh, yet you are a conservative, and yet you are championing, and you are championing, championing some of these uh, really what we would call really uh, conservative values. You actually understand what conservatism is from what I'm talking, from from what I'm hearing right now, just in the last ten minutes or so. Um, and at the same time, Todd, there is like a strategy. I'm hearing like a, a bona fide strategy to what Constantinos is doing. He took a look at the entire electoral outlook and he said, how can I get the most bang for my buck in going into and trying to run for something? And he took a look at the controller. So there's not only understanding what conservatism is, but there's also um, some some legit strategy in what you're doing, Constantinos. And that is that is really encouraging to hear. And, Todd, if you have a question, uh, go ahead and get that in. Well, I just wanted to echo what you just said. It, You, you watch uh, politicians on the left and the right get in the game yep. and turn into a politician after being a candidate. Yep. And it's clear that this is just dinner theater to them. It's all, it's all about them. Look at me. And the way you broke down where— Comptroller. Nobody knows what that is. You probably didn't know even completely what that is. But you looked around. You wanted a game plan. You actually wanted to be successful yep. when you got there. I mean, th- without Steve has written a book. Without a vision, a people perish. I mean, that is a pragmatic vision for success. How do I take my conservative principles and, with the means that I have right now, do that the best I can with what I've got? It's just fantastic. But I would be remiss. Maybe somewhere this is where you were going, Aaron. Uh, what is going on, Constantinos, with turning California into three states down there? Well, it is um, uh, it's, it's idiotic. Um, <laughs> I talked, um, well, via email uh, last year with the author of it, and I talked to him about my uh, idea of trickle-up taxation, found some interest, and he wanted to you know, still continue with his path of the three states. I told him it's not going to solve anything, right, because – all you're doing is splitting the state into three, and you still have the fundamental problem of overbearing centralized government. So nothing is going to change. What you need is local control. Um, and this will not pass. Republicans will not back this, and uh, very few Democrats will. And then besides that, I mean, um, I think it's uh, Article 4, Section uh, Clause 3 of the Constitution would have to go back to the federal government anyways. And looking at the changes in the Um, you know, the Electoral College, and it would probably be, you know, two, uh, at least two, but probably three to four more Democratic senators, uh, uh, this will not, it's dead on arrival. If we had better uh, local control, less oppressive uh, intervention and regulation from federal government it's best best case scenario i'm just really curious the people is is there a case to be made for why californians would be better off has has the government's has california become too big and too unwieldy regardless of the politics is there any scenario under which this would be 
better? The only way that I can see is obviously trickle up taxation, because really, when we're talking about conservatism in form of government, a lot of the our concepts came from uh, Switzerland, our, our founding fathers. And even there, uh, most fiscal decisions are made on the local level in the cantons. So this isn't I'm not forcing my uh, ideology down your throat. I'm just saying we can do government, you know, better, more effective and cheaper and you can get the services that you want instead of having high taxes and very low services. So it's a formula where, you know, you can look at, you know, Switzerland and say, well, they're not, you know, our type of conservatives, but it's just a form of government and how we end up doing. See, the problem that we have as conservatives is we actually think that, you know, if we put enough Ted Cruz's or Mike Lee's into the federal government, that the, you know, somehow we're going to have a victory. It's no, the, the system is fundamentally broken. Uh, you know, we're trying this top-down approach where we need to flip it around. You know, as Steve has said many times, right, the people created the states and the states created the people. So, you know, we're looking at convention of states, which is not going to do anything because there's no incentive for the states to do it because they can be grade-A hypocrites, take, you know, Obamacare, Medicare money, expand the system and say, well, we didn't raise the debt and I didn't raise your taxes. And by the time it actually kicks in, guess what? Uh, I'm going to be termed out and I'm going to be out of here. So my goal and plan is, right, if we can be successful here in California and implement this, right, the the nature of total depravity works this way. The state government is not going to want to do this. That's why it's going to be a ballot initiative in 2020 once the study's done. They're going to want power. Now, I've already put a check on the state government, and now, uh, you know, as people continually want power, where's the only place they can go? If they can't take it away from the local government, they're going to look at the federal government. So it's creating an incentive now for the states to finally do a convention of states and start stripping power away from the federal government. We can't go from the top down. You first, uh, the people strip the state of power, bring it locally, and then leaving the uh, total depravity of man on the state level to go after the federal government and strip it from there. Constantino's final uh, question today. Maybe somebody's watching this or listening to this who uh, is seeing what you're doing in California and is uh, maybe inspired or encouraged to try to run for public office, try to put some teeth behind what their worldview and what uh, their values really are, and they're seeing what you're doing right now, what would be one piece of advice you could give that person? The one piece of advice that I would definitely give people is know and understand what you believe in and have a consistent uh, worldview. Um, being able to articulate and, and think through. It's not just knowing that conservatism is the best way uh, because it's based in reality, but the fundamentals behind there have, you know, wisdom uh, and understanding it and, and realize, you know, it's going to be difficult to gain support um, and obviously raise funds because you're not going to do favors to anybody. Um, if you stand with principles, so it's going to be an up, uh, uphill battle, but it's not impossible. And just keep chugging along. Just stay, stay true to your principles. And at the end of the day, uh, if you win or lose, it's okay. Um, you know, you, you gave it your best. And it's okay, you know, to, to fail sometimes. Uh, as long as you get up and keep fighting the good fight, uh, that's what I would recommend to people. Just put yourself out there. What's the worst that can happen here? You're applying for a job, and you just didn't get it. Constantinos Roditis, it's uh, been great to uh, finally meet you in person, and best of luck to you in uh, continuing on in your campaign for California Controller. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I greatly appreciate the opportunity and finally to meet you guys. God bless, brother.
Thanks, brother. God bless. Well, hope you uh, enjoyed that interview with Constantinos Rhoditis and Todd just following up on that. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was kind of going to be fun since we, we, you know, we hear Constantinos' name every day or not every day, but every Wednesday on the on the podcast. I thought it was going to be kind of fun just to meet the guy behind um, be, behind the, the Twitter account, you know. Uh, but when he actually started, he's he's not like a super imposing type of dude when you see him on camera or you hear him talk. But the dude knows him knows his stuff, and he's just totally, totally comfortable in his own skin. And I, I, again, the the one answer that stands out to me, he talks about seeing the corruption as a business owner, as a CFO and CEO, seeing the corruption amongst government. And I said, well, what what? You know, in your position, what um, specific examples can you point to? And he said, well, it's just total depravity <laughs> um, as conservatives. And then he goes, he pivots from that to, you know, as conservatives, it's not that we want to control the power. It's that we want power devolved away from the federal government. And it's just stuff like that. And he, he strategically, he didn't just run for a state Senate seat or a state rep seat, although those can be important and those are important. He looked at what's available and he said, if I'm going to run, let's do this right and let's run for something where I can actually make a difference day one. And that's what he's doing right now. So he's putting teeth. He's, you know, win or lose. And this guy's legit. I mean, California Jungle Primary, and he's one of the two remaining going into November. Um, You know, this this guy is putting teeth on conservatism. And to some degree, a Judeo-Christian worldview as well, kind of living out rules for patriots, Todd. Yeah, we're just so used to uh, listening to Republicans, conservatives, Christians, you know, put it, throwing those uh, uh, labels around, um, ascribing them to themselves. And we watch and we know we're watching Pinocchio. Right. The nose is just growing and growing and growing. So you're just prepared for that. Uh, again, he... Constantinos, a, 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 a regular um, contributor to our show, as Aaron said, in terms of uh, uh, social media and asking uh, questions in our regular segment. But you don't you really know. But then you, you it's so encouraging for yeah. us yes. here because, as I said, we sit in this room and, and we, you know, we do what we think is right, but we're just not sure – who exactly is out there listening and what their level of fortitude is. You know, the, it's it's what I always refer to as the untouchables moment when Sean Connery is uh, is dying from multiple bullet wounds and he grabs uh, Elliot Ness, like, uh, Kevin Costner's character, by the, by the neck and says, what are you prepared to do with his last blood-soaked uh, dying breaths? And, hey, there's a man right there named Constantinos Roditis, who appears to be ready to, with a, a yeah, pleasant asked, demeanor, a smile yeah. on his face, but he's ready to go yeah. to war. He's a yeah. real boy. Yeah. I was couldn't believe it. Yeah. No, I, I, I asked him. He says, you know, um, he, he says he, he's very open. He, he is very open about what he's trying to do. And, and what he's trying to do in that state is basically um, say, uh-uh, to all of the crap that California tries to impose on its citizens and all of the crap that California spends its money on. He's his goal is just to say, yeah, no, no. Once I get in here, that's that's not going to happen anymore. And I asked Constantinos and you heard that in the interview. 
do you realize if you win what you're asking for, what you're getting yourself into? And he's like, yep. Uh, really, really appreciated that conversation. And it's, it, it was very encouraging. I agree with Todd. Uh, and now, uh, a best of interview with a guy named Ed Tandy McGlasson. He's a former center in the National Football League. He's got a ministry aimed at uh, tackling fatherlessness, an epidemic in our culture. And so here's that interview between Steve and Ed Tandy McGlasson in honor of Father's Day upcoming this weekend here on the Steve Day Show podcast. It is an epidemic in our culture. It's something I have experience with myself, as do many other men and younger men and boys of this era. And it is fatherlessness. Ed Tandy McGlasson is our guest. He's a former football player. And this is a topic very close to his heart. In fact, he's got a series of videos uh, where he discusses the blessings of the father for families. And we want to welcome him to the Steve Day Show podcast here today. Ed, how are you? Hey, it's great to be here today. First of all, tell us about your football career, Ed, because I am I, I am a football fanatic. When I grow up, I either want to be <laughs> Mel Kuyper Jr. or Chris the Bear Felica, total nerds who were not good enough to play, but turned their love of the game into a cottage industry that made them some money. So tell us about your playing career. Uh, well, hey, if you want to be a football player, you have to have titanium in your body at 60 years old. <laughs> so just think about that. <laughs> I, um, I got to play five years in the National Football League. Um, it was a real blessing. Um, uh, played for the New York Jets my rookie year, New York Giants, Los Angeles Rams, and went to training camp with the Eagles my fifth year. And uh, God ruined my perfect story and called me into the ministry. Mm. <laughs> but I love I love playing. I love uh, those moments. And, uh, um, you know, the big influencer in my life when I was a kid growing up with this guy by the name of Roger Stahlbeck. Mm-hmm. And uh, that dates me, but just incredible uh, human being. Matter of fact, he was the um, peewee football coach. I volunteered while he was at the Naval Academy, and he was a head coach of our team. And I was his quarterback, Steve. Really? And in uh, matter of fact, the very first play of our first, it was flag football uh, back then for peewee, and the very first play, um, out of the gate, I scored an 85-yard touchdown, hmm. and I thought I was I was pretty impressive. And went back to the sideline. He had his arms crossed. He looked over at me, and he said, uh, "Hey there, Eddie Mac." He said, uh, "We don't tie our flags in a knot, so no one can pull them out." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Go turn yourself in. To the referee. <laughs> I like this story because I coach my son's youth flag football team, and and every week one of these kids has come up to me, Ed, trying to come up with some way to to, to misplace their flag to game the system. They've got one kid came up to me with the idea of putting his putting both of his flags on the very front of his flag belt, and my son looked at him, and and so he had both of his flags hovering around his uh, manly parts, okay, yeah, uh, flanking them on each side, and my son walked up to him and said. Hey, brother, do you really want the other kids grabbing at that for, for, for four quarters on Saturday? You know, but th- oh, they're, they're always looking for an edge. You know, I was looking at your football bio. It looks like, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, but if you went to the Jets in 79, did you just miss Lou Holtz? Yes, I did. You went to the Rams in 1980. You just missed a Super Bowl team, right? Missed a Super. I was one step away from a ring on three teams. So, on, so you went to the Giants in 81. You just missed Bill Parcells. 
Well, Bill was our defensive coordinator back then. So I know Bill, and Bill Belichick was our special teams coach. So here's what you need to know. If, if you want to know, is your team about to be great? or about to spectacularly fail as the Jets did with Lou Holtz. If you know yeah. your team is about to do something spectacularly bad or good, find out if Ed McGlasson was on their team the year before. <laughs> and that means something tremendous is going to happen the very next year, Ed. You're like, a, you're like a beacon. next year. Yeah, I didn't get that big rock on my finger. But you know what? I got to play in the big show. We have... Um, we have a show happening right now in our culture with what's happening with fathers and fatherlessness. And, yeah. and just to give you a little bit of my background, I, um, my mom found out she was pregnant with me in Christmas of 1972. She was a freshman in high school and she got pregnant by her high school senior boyfriend and was scared, didn't know what to do. Roe versus Wade happened about a month later. Um, Suddenly, she had a choice to make. She decided to have me and gave birth to me in July uh, of 73 when she was 15 years old. So I was born to a single mom. Uh, My biological, um, you know, was a teenage boy. He actually wanted to step up, but his dad was a big, powerful judge and didn't want what he viewed as white trash marrying into his family. So we were on our own. My Mm. mom met a guy when I was uh, two and a half years old um, that was on shore leave in the Navy uh, because we were in uh, uh, California at the time. uh, And they got married after a month or two. And that's where my last name, Dace, comes from. He raised me, but he came from a very abusive background. His father was a drunk and abusive to him, and so he modeled mm-hmm. a lot of that behavior to us. And And I, I think that my story, sadly, is not unique in our culture. And, you know, how I came to faith, Ed, is I was at a Promise Keepers on September 18, 2003, in Kansas City, Missouri. And a guy, <laughs> named, a guy named Joe White was the very first speaker. And he ends oh, up wow. he ends up giving a talk about the damage that fathers do when they abandon their sons or they don't raise them to be men. And then he took an altar call. And that moment is, you know, I thought I was in an arena of 12,000 people. I thought he was talking directly to me. I mean, that right. th- that moment changed my entire life and um, helped beginning to the, helped to begin to heal the wound that had really been there my entire life. Uh, if no one really ever affirmed me that I could be a leader, that I could be a man, that I could be a husband, that I could be what God made me to be. I could do something great beyond just acquire stuff and have sex with women. I could do something else that was meaningful in my life. And I, I just know my story is not unique because I've met a ton of men in my age group and in various age groups who have very similar stories with what's happened to fatherhood in the home. I mean, Ed, before he died, I interviewed Chuck Colson. And, mm. and, and, I, and I asked him about his work in prison fellowship and what was one of the, some, of the, some of the things he learned through the course of his ministerial career. And one of the things he said to me was, if you go to any maximum security prison in America, regardless of the race, the creed, the ethnicity of, of, of the men that are in maximum security, ask them one simple question, where is your dad? And the answer right. is, they don't know or he's in prison too, almost across the board. That's right. You know, God's put this incredible gift inside of every father that most dads just don't understand. They're like, a dad is like in a home, he's like the frame of a house. And so you know how, however big that home is and what the edges are, that's what that dad provides his support. A mom's the artwork and she's the beauty in the house. She's a relationship builder. God's put in mothers this incredible ability. I mean, I just, what a, what a praise report about your mom who said, I'm going to have a son. And now here you are, you're a mouthpiece uh, for God's purposes in a, in a crazy time. 
that God knew before you were even born. And again, in fathers, God's put this incredible gift inside of us. When we speak life into our kids, it it kind of sets the level of how they see themselves. Hmm. It's like this identity piece. And your story, by the way, is so is very similar to mine. And I talk about in in my new series, uh, the blessing of the father for families. It's a twenty year work. Um, we when I f- wrote my first book, um, the difference a father makes. I had no idea that we were going to sell a quarter of a million copies. Wow. That I was touching a wound, and then I discovered this verse in Lamentations five three, Steve, that says this, and this is the song and the ache in our culture today. It's behind all, much of the boli- the political stuff and with the kids on the street, with uh, National League football players right now, the Antifa mo- movement, which I call the anti-father movement, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just rebelling against anything that represents structure because they've never had, a lot of them never have had any structure in their life. But here's the verse. Orphans we are, not a father in sight, and our mothers are no better than widows. That's the ache in our culture. And yet God's got this plan. See, God's always had the same plan, Steve, for guys like you and I. Because I have a very similar story to yours. My my dad was a test pilot in the Navy. And uh, he had to make a life and death choice while I was still in the womb. Eight months, and I, was a, I took up all my mom's space. <laughs> I was a big baby. And um, he had to make a life and death choice at 400 miles an hour to bail out uh, of his jet as he was testing it over Monterey Bay or to ride it into the sea. And because it was Memorial Day weekend and May 29th, 1956, my dad grabbed a microphone and said over uh, to the conning tower, this is November Papa, 88, taking it in. Because he knew that if he would have bailed out, his plane might have gone into pedestrians on the beach. Hmm. And my dad was taken, you know, about a month before I was born. So I was born without a dad in my story. My stepfather, you know, tried to be a good dad, but he struggled in his life because his dad, his dad figured out he was afraid that one day of swimming in the water that he might drown. And so at 11, 12 years old, his father, a Cajun daddy, took him to a bridge over a bayou in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and grabbed him out of the truck and threw him into the river and told him, I'm not going to have a boy in my family who's scared of anything. Mm. And that framed something for him in his own stories. And, and see, God's put that inside of every dad. He's, he's put this this responsibility. Your dad, and you know, you know, he chickened out. He backed away from the gift that God gave him. And so many dads just don't know what to do. And so many moms are stuck trying to raise families today. And, you know, that's the dilemma that we have in our culture right now. My stepdad used to say to me when I was growing up, Ed, he used to say, you will, you may not love me, but you will respect me. Yeah. As, As if we could have one of those without the other. And then I, I, I didn't really understand that. Um, and, when I got older and after I got converted and I start studying God's word and, and I notice the juxtaposition presented between love and respect in the New Testament, mm-hmm. how 
it's sort of a chicken and the egg argument. You can't have one without the other, and yet you can't have the other without one. And so essentially both sides of that complementarian relationship have to take the initiative to provide that for the other for it to act, for the other side to get what they need from the other part of the marriage and, and the relationship. And I realized as I studied this and I went back to my childhood and hearing that from my stepdad so often, I realized that what he believed what he what he defined as respect, he conflated with the term fear. And, and, right. and not fear like the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the, the reverential no. fear that one day I will give an account for my life and I better not have wasted it. That's not what we, the, the, the cowering fear, the, the, the fear of an authoritarian, um, the, the, not the fear of a suffering servant who lays down his life for me. So I better not, I better not spoil that which was given to me at a high price, but the, the fear of a strap. And yeah. where do you think he learned that? Yeah, he learned it from his dad. You're exactly right. And I realized is that I had I had done up until this point in my own life, I had done the exact same thing. I thought yeah. intimidation was respect. The fact that I could intimidate people meant they respected me. No, it just means I can intimidate people. Yeah, and see we're, we're at, and see this is one of the dilemmas for men. You know, we had our last president who said, "Hey, just man it up and be a man." Well, the truth is, is that a manhood is something you've got to receive from God. We've been made to be blessed by him. And when our dads don't model that in our life, it leaves a wound behind. Whether you're a daughter or a son, many times daughters without a dad who are present in their life. You know, she'll be, I was with a gal yesterday at a radio show I did. Um, we did the Laura Ingram show. And, uh, and she, she looked at me and told me she'd been married four times. And that I said, well, let me ask you, did you, what was your relationship with your dad like? She said, well, you know, he was a brutal guy. And I said, well, how many, how many of the guys that you chose to marry were you trying to change to maybe be the father you never had? And she said, all of them. Hmm. See, for a daughter without a dad in her story, she's left with this ache. That's why so many girls think that they can love a bad boy into a good boy. And then they, they live in, in forever counseling. Uh, you know, in their life. And a, and a guy, when he doesn't have that, that missing piece of identity where a dad looks at you and, and, he, and he says, well, this is what I love about you, Steve. Th- th- those markers in your life are, they determine, it's kind of like if life was a basketball game and, and uh, we went into a gym one day and there were two backboards, but there was no hoop, right? There was mm-hmm. no net. How would those kids score in that game? Well, they couldn't score. They'd probably make up a game. Well, I get 10 ricochets and you got 11. But that hoop is the words of a father over life of a son. It, it, it determines, well, this is how you score in life. And when that dad's present and he's saying, Steve, boy, I see these things in you. I love the way you've been designed your life, and I want to celebrate that. You could just see your kid's chest just kind of stick out. When a dad shows up, when a dad shows up to a, a baseball game or a recital, dads, if, you, if you're listening, if you notice that your, your sons and your daughters, I mean, they'll look over you with a smile and it's like, there's a whole new day. I remember when I was starting to learn this as a young dad, uh, Lucas, my favorite middle son, I have five children, my favorite oldest, favorite oldest daughter, favorite middle daughter, <laughs> favorite young middle son, and favorite youngest Son and and Lucas went and I was a little late getting to the game, and I showed up and he was there and he strikes out, 
And he goes back to the bench and he's sitting on the on the on the seat there in the dugout and he's crying and he's got his arms folded and he's got a big lower lip. And I walked over to him and I said, look, as he goes, we're struck out. And I said, come here, man, son. Are you ready? He goes, what? I'm going to lay hands on you right now, son. And these words that come out of my mouth are going to come true in your life. And the spirit of God's going to fall on you right now. And you're going to go up there the next time. You're going to swing with all your might. And you're going to hit the ball and knock it off the center field fence. It's almost going to be a home run. And so I prayed for him. He went up next time. Guess what happened? He hit the first pitch, ran around. He was so surprised he hit it, almost forgot to run. He went to first base, he went to second base, and he standing on second base, started jumping up and down, and he was looking right at me. See, God's made us a, uh, in a way, Steve, that when the Father looks at us, it changes our story. That's why I wrote The Blessing of the Father for Families, a video, six-part video series, and and the books that I've done, and really, and why I've I've stepped, I've been a full time pastor for thirty some years, and now just focusing all of my time on speaking to this issue in our culture because we have more than fifty one percent of the kids in our country, according to David Blankenhorn, fifty one percent in our, our kids in our country don't have a dad in their story. Hmm. That's devastating. How about the dads who are there that are so preoccupied trying to find out who they are? That they spend all their time at work or on their projects or on their toys and their kids are there in that house going, Dad, who am I? Do I have what it takes? And that's one of the things that Jesus came to bring us because he he came to change not only our story and the broken part of us that's broken, the encounter you had with Promise Keepers. What a powerful moment um, that, you know, Promise Keepers was just, a, a, just a, an act of the Lord, you know, upon men. Because, see, here's God's plan, Steve. Every time culture gets crazy the way it is, he's got a two-step plan. It's right in the last couple of verses of the Old Testament. And he says, before the great and coming day of the Lord, God says this, I will turn the hearts of fathers back to children. Steve, I am watching this all over the world. I am watching God do something that's so profound and and so finishing in the life of culture that he is calling men out just like you to be more than having a, a talk show or a podcaster or a television show, but to be a father, a more than even a father to just your kids. A, the greatest use of a man's life is when he di- he discovers that he can father and influence a culture and the kids around who don't have dads. And he's calling these fathers out. The second part of that verse is, is that the promise is, and then I'll turn the heart of the children back to the father. I believe we're going to see this restoration of this lost millennial generation. that They've left home, they left church, they've just sort of jumped into culture and jumped into technology thinking that will save their life and never discovered Jesus for themselves, but m- many of them leave the church because the wounds they have with their own dad. And I've, you know, I'm kind of in this place in my own story where God had to do a miracle uh, in my own story, Steve, uh, to bring me into this place to do this ministry. Final question, Ed. If there is somebody listening right now and they're about to be a dad or they're already one, 
and their story is like the one you imparted or I did and as too many men with this story in our culture today and they're like I, I don't first of all I always tell guys you're, you, 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 let's just get this out of the way now you're not ready to be a dad and there's never enough money. I can promise you. I don't care how trained you are, I don't care how much money you make, you're not ready and there's never enough money. So go ahead and let go of those two worries right now because that's called the state of being of a parent, period. That's always true. But if 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 there where do I go? What what are the first steps I take into I want to be I want to be the dad where the future generations look back and say this is where the line in the sand was drawn. This is where the destiny of, of our family, our legacy, the path diverted, it started here. What advice would you give them in terms of first steps to, to, to be that change agent? Well, number one, I'm just going to say to every guy, it's never too late to be a great dad. It's never too late. Because what God's put inside of you, your kids need, whether they're grown, whether they're angry, whether they're separated from you, or they're already got their families of their own, it is never too late for you to learn these things. I mean, that's the, the material that I talk about in the Blessing of the Father for Families is a six-part, six steps that you do in the life of, of your family. And, and the truth of the matter is, um, it was Jesus, when he walked in my story in college, that changed the whole trajectory of my life. Just like you, I I got to stand up with an ice bag on my knee, Steve, in Kilcally Dormitory. I was a football player that wanted to play in the NFL. I blew my knee out. They told me I wouldn't play again. And a guy read a verse, came into my room, a campus minister, and he read one verse to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe in him would not have perished, but have everlasting life. And I'd never heard the Bible before, Steve. Maybe you're a guy who, you're not, you don't go to church, you think that's your wife's thing. It's not very manly to go. I gotta tell you, it's the only place real men meet in your community. And he looked at me and he said, Ed, would you like to be forgiven? And I said, how's that work? He said, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died as so he were you. He took all the sin that you did in your life or all the sin you would ever do. He took it on him. So he died as though he were you. So that when you receive what he did, you can now live as though you were him. And he'll transfer into you everything that you need. It's called grace. To be the man, to be the father, to be the husband, to be the right kind of boyfriend, to be the worker, to be the shop owner to be the businessman, to be the radio talk host that you need to be. That's his promise. And I and I, I just, when I heard that word, that he loved me, it opened my heart. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so I said, okay. And I prayed with him. It's the first time I'd ever prayed with anybody. And uh, the doctors gave me a really negative report. And so I was like, but what have I got to lose? And as soon as I prayed, I felt just the, the washing over of, of the Spirit of God in my life. And then he looked at me and he said, Ed, would you, would, can I pray for your knee? And I said, sure. And he put his hand on my ice bag and, and prayed a simple prayer. And then he was gone. And he left my room that night. And uh, 
I, I got to tell you, I had this peace that I'd never had before because Jesus came in my life. And the next day when they rolled me into surgery, the doctor comes out shaking his head after he does another set of tests. And he goes, Ed, I don't sure exactly what happened here, but here's the x-rays we did yesterday of where your cartilage was torn and, and your, 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 your ligaments were torn. Somehow they've been reattached. And Steve, I mean, I was, my mind was blown. Hmm. The God, you know, who, you know, that I used to see on churches on a cross, this guy named Jesus who was alive, and he walked into room 603 and killed Tolly Dormitory and gave me a new beginning. And you might be listening today online, and you've just never given in. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've got a broken family. Maybe you feel like this is over for me. Why don't you pray with me right now? And just you can pray this out loud, and and if you mean it, God will hear you. Say, God, I give you my broken story. I give you my family. I give you my relationship with the girls or the wife of my life, and and I ask you, God, to forgive me for all the things that I've done that have hurt all these people. And I ask you, Lord, to give me a new family. I ask you, Lord, to make me the man, to make me the husband, to make me the leader, and to make me the father that my kids really need me to be. And if you're a gal and you're in that place, pray that same prayer. And the Jesus who met me in Kilcully Dormitory, who met Steve at an altar call, it Promise Keepers will meet you right now and give you a new beginning. In Jesus' name. Amen. That is very well said, my friend. How can people learn more about this series and, and see an episode and, and see if it's something they want to invest in? Uh, go to blessingofthefather.com. Um, you know, you can sign up. We have a, I have a free devotional that I've written that's called Time with My Father. What would it be like to have a quiet time like Jesus did when he read the Bible? And so that's you just free. You can find out about us. And we have a store there online. And we just love um, to serve you. And we even priced it so that everybody can get it. And so um, it's just be an honor to serve you. And uh, if God can turn my family around, he can definitely turn yours around. Ed Tandy McGlasson, Ed, it has been an honor having you with us, brother. God bless you. We'll do it again sometime, okay? Let's do it, Steve. Blessings to you, buddy. All right, take care. And that will do it for the Steve Day Show podcast on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Steve will be back tomorrow for more other programming, putting the programming back in other programming when he returns for the Day's Group Roundtable on CRTV and for Feedback Friday right here on this podcast. Until that time, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 